In the fifth season of this podcast, we'll be exploring some great works of literature that have something to suggest to us about the nature of authenticity. According to the Cambridge Dictionary, authenticity is the quality of being real or true. The Delphic Oracle instructs, know thyself. The gadfly, Socrates, tells us that the unexamined life is not worth living. To thine own self be true, writes the bard. The hermit of Sils Maria, Nietzsche, counsels us to avoid herd morality and instead to become who you are. Mark Twain offers up the sage advice that if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. And Kurt Cobain tells us, in a way that only he can, to come as you are. So, what is it? What is authenticity? Well, no better place for some answers than to turn to the writers and the poets. This is the wisdom of, and this is episode one, Kafka's Metamorphosis. It's pretty common to equate realism and authenticity. If you, if you look them up in the dictionary, I'm sure they have pretty similar definitions. And especially when we start to examine a story, we think about realism as, as often quite important, as in the more real a story is, the better it is. Now, looking at the metamorphosis today, this, this couldn't be anywhere further from that. There is very little, quote unquote, real in it. There's there's no attempt at explaining Gregor's absurd transformation. Uh, both he and, I don't know, pretty much everyone encounters the bug man react in a way that no human realistically would, dare I say, ever. Yet, this story that is, you know, patently not real, not realistic, I think could tell us a hell of a lot about authenticity. Yeah, I think it can. And we're going to see if we can get some of that across today. But first, uh, as usual, a brief summary. So, The Metamorphosis is a novella written by the Austrian Franz Kafka. It was first published in 1915, and it's one of his best-known works. Now, it tells the story of a young salesman, Gregor Samsa, who, in one of the most famous opening sentences in all of literature, wakes one morning to find himself inexplicably transformed into a huge insect. Thereafter, Gregor becomes an object of disgrace to his family and an alienated man. He eventually dies from his family's neglect. Now, the story touches on various themes, including those of inadequacy, guilt, isolation, and authenticity. You know, it's interesting, at the end of his short life, Kafka wanted all of his works burned, with the exception of a few, this one included. 
The Metamorphosis is arguably the greatest short story in the history of literary fiction, and certainly one of the most influential works of the 20th century. Just, just by coincidence, this week I found myself uh, watching David Cronenberg's The Fly, and you know there is quite an obvious connection between Metamorphosis and that movie, and then ramping the coincidences up, the particular volume of Metamorphosis that I had when I was starting to reread in preparation for this podcast had a foreword by David Cronenberg. So in that, uh, David Cronenberg was talking about connections between his own life and Metamorphosis, uh, Gregor. And he talked about being in bed and waking up and suddenly coming to the realization that he was 70. And he really compared that to Gregor suddenly waking up and finding himself, whatever he is, this monstrous insect beast thing. So it really does kind of bring to mind that disconnect we can all have. Like, I'm nowhere near 70, but I can empathize with what Cronenberg's talking about. Just like Gregor, when he first transforms and he tries to get out of bed and his legs don't work, when I wake up in the morning, my legs are not working properly. I have to consciously take step by step. And it reminds me, even though in my mind's eye, I don't think this way, that I'm getting older. So what can we take from this kind of apparent disconnect between the realities of our body and what we think of ourselves inside? Yeah, that disassociation is fascinating, right? So in order to answer this, let me back up a bit and start with Gregor's waking up in the morning. You know, one of the most fascinating things about Gregor is that when he wakes up as an insect, what concerns him is his attendance at work and the consequences of not showing up. The fact that he's woken up with the body of a bug doesn't really seem to cross his mind. Instead, he goes about his morning as an insect as if this was his natural condition. Now, the fact that he's completely indifferent towards his condition of being an insect might be meant to suggest that, well, Gregor is all mind. That he identifies himself, his identity, with his mind and not at all his body. Actually, we get this kind of view in thinkers like Plato and Descartes. Plato takes the immaterial soul to be our true self and our physical body to be, well, a kind of prison house of the soul. Descartes also, in his own way, completely split mind and body, and he even believed that the body does not affect the mind, that the existence of the mind is um, completely independent of the body, and so that what we are is pure consciousness, an immaterial thinking thing. Well, I think we can see Gregor along these lines. I mean, Gregor, even though he's very removed from his former body, is still grounded in the consistency of his thought as it existed when he had a human body. And like I said, rather than worrying or even noticing the disappearance of his human form, he just goes about his business, thinking the same things he had always been thinking. He, he even gets an infection when a, when a rotten piece of apple sticks to him, 
and still he doesn't seem to care. So indifferent is he to his body. So Gregor goes about his life, now and before, as a pure mind. He's always been and continues to be a disembodied being. Gregor then suffers from a kind of alienation from his body. He's not in contact with his whole being. This is not a healthy condition to be in. Actually, we might see as further evidence of this alienation the the magazine clipping he keeps of a lady in a fur cape and the way he tries to anxiously protect it later in the story. There is something extremely juvenile about all of this. In his own way, he seems to be preoccupied with sex, but hasn't the slightest idea how to properly address his feelings. And again, I think this is because he has alienated himself from his body. You know, Nietzsche, through the mouth of Zarathustra, said that the soul is only a word for something about your body, and that there is more wisdom in your body than in your deepest philosophy. Now, what he meant by such claims is that, first of all, who we really are is ultimately a combination of our instincts, feelings, and drives, the sorts of things associated with our bodies and with the more unconscious aspect of ourselves. So, we're not at all independent from our bodies. In fact, we're animals through and through. In this sense, Nietzsche is attacking Plato's dualist view and his idea that the intellect is the most important feature of who we are. And second, Nietzsche is saying that our body is more in touch with what is best for us than our conscious mind or ego could ever be. And why wouldn't this be the case? After all, our bodies have been immersed in a world for six million years. I'm pretty sure they've picked up a thing or two along the way. Actually, it seems to be why computers need bodies in order to be truly intelligent. In this completely bizarre story where our protagonist is is magically somehow transformed into this monstrous creature, this insect, really at the root of the story, I think it's far more direct. It's really just about money. Money comes down to being the driving force behind every single moment of the narrative, it seems. So what is the impact of money as it relates to this story and as it relates to authenticity? Yeah, I agree. The money is huge here. And I think the cause of another sort of alienation. That is, I think it's pretty clear that Gregor, apart from his own body, is also alienated from others. Now, there are lots of reasons for this, but I think an important one is, well, as you say, money. I mean, money is clearly one of the chief concerns of the Samsa family. Remember that Gregor works as a salesman to provide support for his family because they're in debt. The others in the family, they just don't work. So Gregor's interactions with his family are mediated by the expectation of money. 
Because of this, Gregor is regarded by his family only from the standpoint of his use value. In other words, the bonds that tie are largely economic, not those of love. And of course, the real evidence for this comes when he turns into an insect. What happens is that now he's seen by them as a liability rather than as a person in need of love and support. Their financial situation is just more important to them. Now, when relationships are mediated by money like this, there is, of course, little genuine human connection. There's no meeting of souls. Um, Karl Marx famously talked about this. When money gets in the way, we become less and less capable of seeing others or even things for what they really are, for their intrinsic qualities. People become dehumanized. They become things, means to ends. Actually, we eventually see this attitude in Gregor's sister, who becomes so indifferent to her brother that she eventually switches her use of pronouns and calls him an it. Again, this wouldn't be surprising for Marx, because for him, the introduction of money transforms and degrades human relationships. For him, human beings should be loved because they're family or because they're lovable. Yet, in a capitalistic society, they're loved because they have lots of money or they're hated or neglected because they're poor. What's more, in our society, we tend to admire those who are wealthy, irregardless of how it is they became so, not because of their intrinsically valuable features. In other words, we uh, Google net worth, not moral character. And not only this, but money, Marx noticed, turns everything into a commodity. Everything has its price, including other human beings. I mean, think about it. Things that were once done out of an intuitive sense that this is what people ought to do for each other, I don't know, like, uh, say, raise their own children or help their aging mothers and fathers, we now, without batting an eye, pay others to do this for us. I mean, when it comes to people paying each other to do things that were once done without thought of payment, the examples are endless, are they not? Actually, now that I think about it, in all of this, Shakespeare is relevant too. In fact, Marx was influenced by him. I mean, in Timon of Athens, Shakespeare tells us, quote, Gold? Yellow, glittering, precious gold? Thus much of this will make black, white, foul, fair, wrong, right. End of quote. So, what does this mean? Well, it reveals how money, gold in fact, has taken up a, a revered place in our world. It's become a divine thing that we bow down to and which has power over us all. And not only that, but in our chasing after it, it inverts our values. It makes white black and black white. And it relegates both our genuine individual and societal needs to the common denominator of its naked acquisition. In fact, this is why Shakespeare ends by calling money or gold 
the common whore of mankind. Actually, now that I think about it, I think Marx is relevant here in another way as well. How so? Well, I think it's pretty clear that Gregor has opted for a job not out of passion or because he's intrinsically interested in it, but because he feels obligated to work in order to help his family. So he has to provide for his family in a job that completely separates him from who he is. Remember, he's a, he's a traveling salesman. His job is marked by bureaucracy, and in it there's a complete lack of creativity and meaningful human connections. Gregor is essentially a cog inside a machine. In other words, he's seen by his employer, the, the chief clerk, as completely expendable. It's all about his productivity, or lack of it. If he doesn't maximize profit, he's gone. And so, the upshot of all of this is that he basically spends his days in a dehumanizing atmosphere. It's soul-crushing for him. So, like I said, Gregor works tirelessly in a job that completely separates him from his nature. Well, this sort of separation is what Marx warned about. This is what for him constitutes a kind of alienation of labor. This is basically when our work becomes external to us and when what we do has nothing to do with our essential being. It's when, as Marx says, we feel at home when we are not working and not at home when we are. Well, the consequence of this kind of life is, for Marx, both physically and psychologically devastating. I think it's reasonable to see Gregor's metamorphosis partly as the embodiment of this sort of devastation. Yeah, as, as much as you just talked about you know, ideas of money and work and all these things that can come to define us in these negative ways, it all comes down to, I think, an idea of duty and what duty means. And one of the biggest ones in this story has to be the idea of duty to your parents. And how does this impact them? Yeah, it has an enormous impact. So I think that Gregor fails to live the authentic life because he can't break away from the grip of his family and their expectations. Um, Kafka himself, by the way, lived at home until he was 31. Now, these expectations are represented mostly by Gregor's job. Gregor has assumed the responsibility, as I mentioned, not only of being the sole breadwinner in his family, but of repaying the debt resulting from the failure of his father's business. He thinks that his family is completely dependent on his salary. This is why when Gregor wakes up only to find that he's become an insect, what he's mostly concerned about is getting to work. He has duties to attend to. Now, when he's late and not getting out of bed, his family just can't seem to understand why this would be. From their point of view, Gregor's behavior here is wholly unlike him. They've never seen Gregor miss a train. Nor has he ever been ill enough not to go to work. 
No, he's been a good son, reliable, predictable, and compliant. So, why does Gregor turn into this giant vermin or insect? Well, we know that there is a part of him that resents his job and his defined role within the family. But to recognize this inside himself is also to acknowledge that he's not a good son. So, when he tries to act on this resentment and to be free from his family, he sees his actions just as he thinks his family will, as unacceptable and, well, worthy of a monstrous vermin. In some sense, then, his metamorphosis is the fulfillment of a wish that had to be repressed. Gregor is simply put, fractured. He has two opposed versions of himself. He wants to be authentically himself, but he can't break free from the expectations of those around him. And what's the result of this? Well, a kind of paralysis. This is also what the insect seems to represent. He can't choose. He can't act. Now, really, he doesn't want to. He denies the responsibility of making a choice. And this is what becoming this insect does. It alleviates any responsibility. Becoming this insect allows for him to make an unwelcome change in his relations with his family, but at the cost of being himself about it. Gregor, then, is complicit in his alienation. Now, is Gregor's metamorphosis surprising? Well, not really, I would say. I mean, if a child's thoughts and way of being do not fit into its family's framework and are neglected or shot down day after day by its parents, that child may find herself expressing herself in ways which no one knows how to criticize and for which no one is responsible because, well, no one can make sense of them. Actually, I think something like this was the maverick psychologist's R.D. Lang's explanation of some cases of schizophrenia. You see, Lang wanted to make madness comprehensible. He believed that sometimes someone's behavior that is seen as unintelligible is really a symbol that expresses a certain reality for them. So, according to Lang, a lot of abnormal behavior loses some of its strangeness when it's seen as a person's way of expressing, with a sense of security, thoughts unacceptable to the people around them, and so consequently to themselves as well. Well, it seems like something like this is what's going on in Gregor, the expression of inner freedom. But ultimately, the problem with this is that it's of course a perverse and stunted attempt at authenticity or self-expression. And again, that's because it takes one to a place where one doesn't have to take responsibility and act to make the right changes and to properly manifest oneself in the world. And to remain in this sealed-up place is, well, a kind of starvation and death, as it soon was for Gregor. 
So what we get here in Kafka is a distorted version of metamorphosis, one which takes the form of mutation and no growth. This is what happens when you're trapped inside yourself, denuded by the world around you, without the strength to hew a new path forward. In this brief life we're graced by, let's try to avoid this as much as we can. Let's instead try to strive for the sort of metamorphosis that is part of the natural process of growth, as in the chrysalis that becomes an amago, or the caterpillar that becomes a butterfly. Listening to the Wisdom of Podcast. If you want to know more about this topic or the podcast in general, visit wisdomofpod.com. And as usual, we love to read your questions and comments. Reach us at info at wisdomofpod.com or on Twitter at wisdom underscore pod. Our next episode, Bob Dylan.